Here's Clark again. Oh, and through again he goes. He's got Satuku with him. But it's Ioane, in fact. And Rico Ioane's going to score. What a brilliant play from Caleb Clark, and the Blues are in again. Then it back this near side for Vince Arso. Vince Arso gives it away to Umanga Jensen. And he's got it on the line. And that is a try. Pass. Oh, oh and welcome to the Counter Ruck, a podcast where we discuss all things rugby. I'm the host of the Counter Ruck, Stacey, so thanks for joining us for another edition. Um, we're joined today by a lot of our regular panel that you guys uh, know, our regular listeners will know. So I'll start by introducing everyone. And um, we've got a legend of uh, Papakura, Papakura Rugby, and a knowledgeable man in the rugby circles, uh, Saleh. Saleh, thanks for jumping on us. Yeah, not to, uh, thank you. Thank you again for allowing me to jump on board and it's been a long time, but now it's good to see you boys doing well yourself. Yeah, no, cheers, mate. Um, we also have uh, County's Monaco. I'll say County's Monaco supporter, uh, serving in the Maya to 10 Cup season and uh, wider matter rugby stalwart, Rog. Rog, thanks for jumping on, brother. Talo falawa. Kia ora. Kia ora. <laughs> All right, boys, so I'll just take care of some housekeeping things before we get into it. So our website's up and running. Check us out there, www.wizwiznet.com. And don't forget to click the support us button on the page to keep the content going and keep the lights on and all that sort of stuff. And also you can follow the counter on Twitter and Facebook. So give us a follow and give us a like on there. <clears throat> okay, boys, so now rugby, it's been a bit stop start in this part of the world uh, with New Zealand going through various stages of the lockdown. Uh, the rugby championships wrapped up as well. So we thought we'd try to do something a bit different today and bring you a special episode and look back at a significant moment in Pacific rugby history. So on October 19th, 1991, about 30 years ago to the day, uh, the mighty Manu Samoa had one of their greatest ever results when they made the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup that year. So boys, I want to spend... Uh, this episode reflecting back on the 30-year anniversary of that achievement and look at the team and also look at what happened in the preceding years after and why we uh, the Manu didn't kick on after that and become a genuine Tier 1 nation. So a lot to get through, but Rog, uh, I suppose as the elder statesman of Kanarak, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll come to you first, because you've got a good memory of the 91 World Cup. Just tell us your memories and thoughts of the 91 World Cup, and obviously in particular the Manu team, who were the darlings of that World Cup tournament and just uh, on the way to making the quarterfinals? Well, just off without any research, I, I can't recall <laughs> what um, what what stage. Oh, actually, it was the quarterfinals. Of, of, was it the quarterfinal? I can't even remember if it was the quarterfinal. No, definitely not. Because the quarterfinal, they lost in the quarterfinals. They lost the quarterfinal to Scotland. Oh, yeah. So pool play, I, I don't know where it fell in terms of pool play. But I do recall the morning. I don't, you know, the recollection's quite a little bit hazy, but it was the morning. I was had to go to school, but we were watching it early hours of the morning on One World of Sport, I think it was running as back then. Um, and we didn't get to finish the whole game because I had to go to school. <laughs> but I remember Toa still scoring that try and, um, and how 
if it was adjudicated as, as it is now, quite um, tight by TMOs and that, it, I don't think it would have been awarded a try. But Tuovainga scores the try, and it was a bit uh, sketchy as to whether he actually got a hand on the ball. But man, it was a it was a life changing moment, I guess, for Manu Samoa, and, and it pretty much put Samoa on the map. But you know, the referee was running behind, um, still. Not quite up with the play where the players were, if I recall correctly. And he just, without even a hesitation, just raised his arm, blew the whistle. It was a try to Tuovainga and, and Manu Samoa were well on their way to winning that match. And I think it was his, the first try of that match as well um, for the Manu. So Tuo, and there's a little docker that Tuo talks about um, years later that was filmed as to how he recollects, how he, how he recalls that moment. But obviously Carter Farms um, Park, and then he, he named his eldest son after the park because of that, oh, wow, that moment yeah. in history. So his, there's a Carter uh, Vaenga that, that played throughout NPC, and I think he was in and around the, the Hurricanes uh, super setup as well um, in years gone by. But, um, yeah, he played for Southland and Counties Manuko as well. Um, Cardiff Vaenga, so that's who he was named after due to the, the heroics of the, not only the Manusamo team but his father all those years oh, ago. Maybe the maybe Amoana Pacifica might be looking at Cardiff, they're looking for some players, so you never know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's good because instead, you know, the Manu hardly ever gets any calls, so I'm glad we've got one of those 50 50 calls and at Wales home ground, too. I mean, mm. shucks. Playing yeah. Wales in Wales, and you know a team like Manu get a, a favourable call, which changed the course of their history. Um, and that's awesome. What about you, Salimane? Have you got any um, early memories? It might be a bit early for you. The '91 World Cup and the Manu, Manu team. Yeah, that, that one? yeah I, I remember running around in my diapers and. Um... <laughs> <laughs> '91. I was probably only uh, I was only two years old. Um, probably can't re- uh, recall much from that, but more so uh, further down the line. Uh, when I was every time I would uh, tune in for the next following World Cups, um, that was always you know um, pretty much what set the standard for the Manu moving forward. You know, um, but I do I do um, as we briefly touched on it. I've, I've I've watched some of the replays from from earlier on, um, and from what I can see in that game, it's uh, what the, what it doesn't show is the physicality of how the Manu played back then. And that's probably pretty much what put all the tier one nations, you know, on on the back foot and and suddenly realizing, man, there's 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 potential for a pretty darn good force coming out of the Pacific, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of what started all these eligibility rules, um, and and what kind of, you know, started, because uh, pretty much from there, you you this is where you see the shift of um, seeing the All Blacks starting to look. At more of the poly boys try to get them uh, more involved in, in the black, all blacks off and in, in the team environment but just from the game itself I, I remember like you know probably the last time we will we'll probably see a team where most of them probably majority of the team probably didn't play any professional footy you know most of them were probably club players or on the on the outer ranks of um representative teams um young Brian Lee Ma young to to Maenga, uh, Peter Fetz, um, Pat Lamb, and Pat Lamb, man, Pat Lamb. I remember. Was that the same game he got an intercept try? That was ninety nine World Cup. Nine nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but um, I remember all um, all I remember from that '91 team was the fact that most of them were homebred players and not uh, and not much experience in terms of representative footy, and that's probably pretty much what shocked the one of the moments why it shocked shocked the world, especially the Tier One Nation, seeing a team with that um, that much not uh, not much experience challenge, you know, like a team like Wales who's been in the rugby world circuit for years. But that's that's my brief memory on it. Yeah, yeah. But Dorsey, uh, you talked about how a lot of players, the All Blacks started to take notice. So Stephen Bashup was part of that 91 team. He obviously went on to play for the All Blacks. And Frank Bunce, who became one of the greatest All Black uh, midfielders. That, um, he got his, his early chances with uh, Manu Samoa in that 91 World Cup as well. So, um, yeah, so the Manu Samoa, they weren't quite a difficult pool. Well, by today's standards, I think they were in a difficult pool. I'm just trying to have a look who was in their pool now. Um, they had Australia, who ended up winning the tournament. Wales, who were a genuine Tier 1 nation and playing at home. Armando uh, Samoa and, and Argentina, who uh, kicked on to become a genuine Tier 1 nation from there. So pretty hard pull by today's standards, at least. And I remember you talked about that game against Wales, and that's where the buzz, particularly from a lot of the Samoans in New Zealand, where they think Shucks were beaten a, a genuine Tier 1 nation, were a realistic chance, getting out of the pool stages. Um, so, Roger, mate, have you got any other thoughts on the pool stages or the quarterfinal? Because they played, they played Scotland, and I don't have a lot of recollection of that game. But looking at the score, it wasn't um, a good game for us. So, just have you got any thoughts on the quarterfinal as well? Well, I think even leading up to that quarterfinal, because was it when they played? Uh, they played against Australia as well in their mm. pool play, and they lost. Was it six three or six nine? Or was it, it was only penalties? If I recall, um, right. Uh, yeah, I think you're right there. I'm just pulling it up now. Nine three, it was nine three. So Samoa were, yes, were in in the mix, and I think it, it was a real muddy, wet day. And um, from what I recall, is is uh, just you know Samoa were in the in 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 with a chance, and and then I think Australia were thankful that they had that bruising encounter with Samoa because obviously, like Sally mentioned. That's when the world got to see how hard-hitting these uh, Pacific Islanders were who ended up being the darlings of the World Cup 91. But it was just their hard-hitting defence that softened up the Australians and then and then basically they were put in good stead moving on into the into the deeper ends of the, the tournament. But I just remember they're doing really well against Australia, but then obviously not, not good enough to end up taking that quarterfinal against Scotland. And Scotland just ended up I think, especially through the 90s, even though we had a pretty um, good attacking sort of style of rugby, we just couldn't really topple Scotland. I think they're a little bit of our bogey team even now um, because we had the likes of Apollo Perinini in that World Cup and that's where he made a name for himself and Peter Fatialofa, who was probably the only one as well as Apollo playing for Auckland at the time. Um, oh, and Pat Lamb as well, as well. But a lot of them, like Sally mentioned, were club players um, coming out of Australia as well as a lot from Samoa around Wellington, um, Auckland as well. But, um, yeah, just can't really recall too much of that. But what was the final score for that Scotland game, the quarterfinal? The final score was 28-6. So Scotland... 
Um, like you mentioned, they had um, they had the Hastings guys who were some of the best ever players to come out of Scotland were part of that World Cup, and they went on to play the semi-finals against England, where they lost nine six. So they were they were a lot better than you know they've been in recent times. So yeah, I'm not much to write on there, but um, it was um, why I got a tro- uh, penalty and and Stephen Bishop got a drop goal. So um, yeah, not much. But what what are your thoughts? Um, they were the darlings of the World Cup, obviously. And I remember '95; they also had a, a decent World Cup, but um, after that, it's been pretty poor. But well, I wanted to look at um, this '91 team. Is that our best ever team? I'll, I'll come to you there, Rog. Would you? Where would you rank this team and the great teams? Well, they're always going to be one of our greatest teams because of the mark that they left at that international tournament. Albeit being the second uh, World Cup, but. Um, that ever took place. But I think it was just the way that they brought through these players and a lot of them that were playing and playing their trade in New Zealand. But then also um, a lot of the ones that were based in Samoa, which we don't really see much now who are being unearthed, that talent from Samoa. Like I remember Anitalea Ayolupo, um, who was our fullback, and he just had the calves of doom. His socks were down all the time, and I just remember <laughs> his calves, and every time he would go down and the camera would just zoom in on his calves and um and that you know everyone sort of was now familiar with an Anitelea Aolupo I think he was known as Andrew Aolupo in, in the team sheets but Anitelea is what I remember him as but then Brian Lima yeah Timo Tangaloa who was playing his trade in New Zealand and then you know he he qualified for I think he played New Zealand A at one stage and then yep. obviously um, turning out on the wing for Manu Samoa. And you've also mentioned the guys like Bunce, Frank Bunce, who again were playing in North Harbour and Auckland, Auckland Bees at the time. And then when mm. Auckland, and North Harbour was, was, uh, came to be in 1989, that's when, um, or 86, and that's when Bunce was able to play NPC. But Sila Vaifale was another one who unearthed from the Mara St. Joseph's. Um, there was quite a few from Mary St. Joseph as well. And then I think there's talk about the Ala Alator brothers. Um, so their father was a prop in that, that squad as well, um, Vili Alator. And so yep. he was playing out of Manly, um, RUFC. But, uh, and they talk about it now and the feats that they were able to accomplish 30 years ago. Um, so they, they know that it's still a lot there's a lot of potential that probably hasn't uh, been achieved since those feats of 91 and then also 99, why they haven't pushed on. I guess there's a lot um, of factors that come into play there as well, but it was just so good to see a lot of the players and we became familiar with Mata Afakinen, got our first red card. <laughs> but he was a great lock. He was a good lock. And then you heard of the Burt Whistles who were playing, I remember playing out of suburbs here in Auckland. So there were guys in Peter Fatelofa who was obviously playing not only for Auckland but for Ponsonby mm, mm. as well. So a lot of players that was you who wouldn't have got the chance. And we know the exploits of Peter Fatelofa, you know, he wasn't too far off becoming an all black, um, yet went on to be uh uh, a legend of a Manu Samoa player. Yeah, yeah. Eddie Ioane is another one there that's uh, the father of Rico and Akira Ioane. Yep. 
So right. some good genes in this team when you talk about the Ala Ala Tours and the Ioannis and this and this team. But uh, yeah, mate, tell you where do you rank this '91 uh, World Cup team? When you're talking about our greatest ever uh, Manu Samoa teams. Oh, definitely uh, top three. Uh, I, I would be. Um... I'll be hard pushed to say maybe the second team, probably my favorite team from just watching over the years, is probably our 2011 World Cup team, the one when the World Cup was here in NZ. Um, only reason being that was probably our first team where, see, with back then with the uh, 91 team, um, we were attacking, uh, good on defense, but we were a dry weather football team, eh? Um, Obviously, coming from the islands and from you know from Auckland or NZ and Australian Samoa, you know, not used to playing in that cold with the rugby. So, I, if I recall, I think in that Scotland game, it was just either a lot of kicking and just a lot of set piece for them, and that's something that probably Samoa didn't weren't really that good at back then. They were just good at you know getting the ball out wide and then just feeding feeding the speed. Whereas our 2011 World Cup team, man, we had probably. The, probably the top three best coaching staff that like not just in in general but like in that whole probably world cup outfit with all the teams we had like we had dickie um ozzy mclean tom coventry um pretty much some of the guys that we're that are helping out with the samoa coaching system right now and then just look at the, the players that we had in the 2011 world cup Man, it was like pretty much guys who were either at the end of their peak um, or just guys that, you know, like, off, I don't know how, off, if I can recall, like we were pretty hard done by in, um, in that World Cup with some results. I remember in, in Wales beat us and that was quite unfortunate. We had uh, Roger running at 10 to see Salivia. Um, and then... Um, <laughs> Uh, but he got he got concussed early. Remember in Tusipusi, he had to pull out with a I think it was a hammy injury. Um, but man, like the 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 amount of depth that we had at like all positions within the those teams, and then just our I don't know. For me, it was just that 2011 team was the most um, in terms of like set piece play, in terms of. Um, play around the field, the structure that they had in this, on the field was just probably the best I've ever seen a Manu Samo team. Um, probably the only thing that we were missing was the same issue we've had for years. It's just a good um, a good 10. Um, that, probably that World Cup was probably where the All Blacks were probably like, you know, um, probably punching themselves for not like, you know, taking a... Um, a risk or taking a leap of faith on um, Khan Fotoli. I mean, they, they did have Aaron Smith, but man, imagine if they both, if they had both of those guys, they'd be like untouchable at, at the number nine position. Yeah. Yeah, that 2011 team, all the players as well, they come from like elite clubs as well. So, you know, really professional outfits in, in Europe, um, like, you know, L London Irish and Bordeaux, Clermont and these types of elite clubs so they, they've come from elite um, environments where they could bring that into the, the team so good shout on that 2011 team I didn't actually think of that I liked the 95 team it was essentially a lot of the 91 team because they were still quite young uh, they got to the quarterfinals again but uh, George Lopepe was a guy who was there another young kid 
uh, George Harder, who I liked, and uh, you know George Harder there, um, Rog, and uh, Darren Kellett, one of my favourite first fives that we had. Uh, he played in that 95 team. So I like that team. They um, Brian Lee Maher was back again, so we talked about him. He was 19 years old at that um, 91 World Cup. So I'll, I'll just put this out there. Where do you, who's the greatest player we've had? Like, and the money, like, I, I, I'll give an early shout for Brian Lima. I think it's an ov- easy, obvious choice, but um, he was 19 at that 91 World Cup, and he really set it alight. And I remember thinking, shucks, who's this guy who sort of come out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere? And after that, you know, he was went on to kick on from there. But have you got any thoughts about who our best ever player is for the model? Sully, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to Man. put you boys on the spot. I just thought of that right, now when I was, I was looking at these one. teams on the team sheet. We're looking at purely Manu Samoa or Rugby World Cups? Manu Samoa. And I just, Manu Samoa, yeah, anyone who's played for the Manu. Like, I, okay. I think that he's bloody, he's my favorite player for the Manu as well. So um, I'll, I'll put it really shouting for, for Brian Lima. And Simul Satiti is another guy who I've got a soft spot for. Mm. Well, you look at some of those guys, I guess, like like Brian Lima, purely on endurance and longevity. Uh, I think, I mean, durability. Brian Lima was similar to the likes of, uh, I guess, he equates to the sort of legendary status that Atana Umanga has, starting on the wing and then moving in in his latter years um, into the midfield. And we saw that with Brian Lima, and I think that added to him being able to, you know, he's he's got a record with two other guys in the world. Um, having played at five World Rugby World Cups. So, you know, mm. so I guess he, he can easily come into that uh, conversation as being one of the most, uh, one of our most legendary Musamo players. Also, he's, um, but then you've got to look at like a guy like Pat Lamb, who was involved in that 91 World Cup as well and, yep. you know, and, and went to two quarterfinals just like Brian Lima. Um but he was uh you know that was he sort of cemented his his uh status as as a good captain um, and a leader for Manu Samoa for those campaigns and then established his career overseas because of his exploits with Manu Samoa and then you've got like City, like you say but then we've got Peter Fatialofa, who was, course, you know, yes. ma- massive reason as to why Manu Samoa had huge following. He was mm. the captain of them in that 96 tour of New Zealand after the 95 World Cup. And I just remember John Campbell being in awe of him, just still um, shaking salt over his food for the longest time and being in disbelief as to how much salt Peter Fats <laughs> was eating. But again, there could be others. Census Johnson for again for the amount of games he's played. Does he come into that conversation? Because I think Brian Lee Mars. No, 66. no, Roger. No, Roger. No, Roger. <laughs> Roger. I'm just going to put it out there no, straight away. No, your friends are in the money, no. Samoa. I just We're not talking about just, your friends are in the money. We're talking about. No, 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 no. I'm just <laughs> just talking about. Um, come on. We'll go. We'll go caps. You know how many caps? So again, Census Johnson in terms of caps is up there as well. So right. That's the only reason why I'm mentioning Census, uh, because he was at a stage the face of Monsamoa, uh, you know, before he resigned, uh, retired. So now, good shout on Census because you know the Monu have struggled for players, but there was a time where he was considered a genuine world class 
props. So when you pull the Manu teams up and who they got who was world-class, he was at least one guy you could put up and say, this guy scrummaging and, you know, set-piece work is, is right up there with some of the some of the best in the world um, based on what is his exploits in, in the European um, club teams and stuff. So not not a bad shot. Have you, have you got anyone that comes to mind for you there, Salif? Or... <laughs> Yeah, this one's a bit controversial. Um Michael Jones. He only played oh. like one or one or few caps, but he is one of the best players ever. So how would how would you like you know he still played for the Manu and he is one of the best players to ever play? So that that's what I mean. It might be controversial. He didn't have many games for the Manu. I think he only played one I don't think it was official cap, but one, I know one he... Test, one test. One test, yeah. He played one test, and then he um, changed allegiance oh, to the All Blacks. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So that that was pretty much okay. on the eve of the 87 World Cup. And then he um, changed oh, yeah, allegiance okay. of the in, in that same year. So that's that, when that, you that's could do that, because I think he was even... Yeah. Yeah, there was no stand-down period too back then. Eh? It was just like, you know, like... Oh, okay. you, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, pro- yeah probably it will be... Uh, Michael Jones, yeah, don't have to be the chiropractor. Eh? Just longevity. Um, I think he was. He is probably still now with those people players that can remember. Still revered as one of the hardest hitters in the game, um, and that's from a winger's from a winger. You know, like <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's unheard of. Eh? Like, and that's what I mean. Back to that ninety-nine-one team, man. You go right throughout that whole field. Everyone could probably put you flat on your ass. You know. And like to yeah, see yeah. to to see wingers pull off that kind of hits. Um, even his hit in the '99 World Cup against Derek Hogard is probably still one of the best hits ever. Eh? And, and even though we were getting pumped in that game, but you know every Samoan walked away from that game <laughs> proud, they eh? proud just for that one hit. And we're like, yep, yeah, we'll take that, man, we'll take that. But um, yeah, now Brian Lee Muff, mm. what he's done, uh, even having a successful career over here in Auckland, then later down in in the Highlanders. Um, yeah, and just his longevity, like Roger was saying, man, like that's that's ridiculous how many World Cups, and probably one of the only few players who's like, yeah, that's made a good transition from the from the outside into the midfield, but at the same time, like not losing like a step or not looking out of place. So that's probably mm-hmm. one reason why I've yeah you've got to have the chiropractor up here. Yeah, yeah. Toto Vaing is another guy who deserves a shout. Just looking at some of the, the player records. So Brian Lima is obviously the most capped. Toto Vaing is second. 61 caps for the Manu. I didn't realize he played that many games. But yeah, 86 to 2001, he was he had a really long stay. And, and he was starting quite a lot as well. He's one of the those automatic picks. And you can't, anyone who's watched him play, he had that, that footwork as well, which is... Uh, Outstanding. Any love for two CPC? Just I'll put a shout out for my old Messi high mate. Hey, you know, you know, um, I, I was one of his harshest critics in the last World Cup, only because I think he played a World Cup too long. But in saying that, like, I think the I think with him, he's um, he was so proud to represent his country. And there was, you know, to be honest and to be fair to him, no really other good teams out there, um, you know, or anyone that put up their hand to play for Samoa. So I I remember. Uh, in that 2011 World Cup, had he not gotten injured, we would have beaten Wales. We were close to beating South Africa, but then we got cheated off. Uh, the ref, you know, 
Sinbin, someone uh, for something that was ridiculous. I've got who it was. Um, but yeah, um, no, Tusi, Tusi is Tusi is the man. Tusi is the man. What he, what he did in this um, that short brief window from 2011 to 2015, like you know, probably has to go down as one of the best tens that we've you know had the luxury of putting on the jersey for the money. And did he get you, caught Roger? into the two thousand? Did he get caught into the two thousand nineteen World Cup? Was he and he was there as yeah. well? And so yeah. that goes to show you know the quality of of him and, and what he offered the the team. And he did come into the. I think he was in his late later late twenties when he first donned the blue jersey for Samoa. But I think if you look at what he was able to achieve and how long he played for Manu Samoa. Um, and we didn't have any, like you say, Sally, quality 10s at the time. 2011 was probably, I would rank Tusi as our number one 10. And like you say, I remember when he got injured. Was it Namibia? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They came down in Rotorua and, and so that's. But at the same time, I think it was um, the coaching. Um, they like uh, maximized the ability of all the players, and especially with Tusi, like um, the way that the game plan that they had for him, man, like use your up and under um just all you do is just guide the uh, guide the ball around you know don't don't take on the line when it's on when when it's open in front of you but man like that's what i mean that coaching the coaching management team that they had back then man like yeah probably like even if you look down like i said the 99 95 um probably a lot more talent in terms of like within that area or within that year period compared to what we had in 2011 but it was just the fact like the, the system maximized the abilities of each individual in order to play at their best. And that's why I always have that team ranked the highest, man. Like you had, um, what do you call it? George Stowers, you know, he he was like old school NZ, uh, what, Colts. And, but then he went overseas, mm, doing yeah. well overseas. So he's seen a 24. He just recently cracked the uh, MPC three counties and he was another hard hitter as well. Mori um, Fasavalu making switches between league and uni back and uh, union back and forth. But oh, I love him, mate. Yeah, yeah bro. Like mm. in he epitomized yeah, Maurice uh, Fasavalu. Yeah. That was um, wasn't he playing? Did he play for Great Britain as well? Played league for yeah, Great yeah, Britain. Yeah, yeah, And then he yeah. came back. And then he came back and played for Manu as well. So we had some. Yeah, and and to, and to bear him, you got to understand also. Hey, that it was amateur era from '91 right through 95, and then things were starting to become professional. But, yeah, you can't go wrong with that 2011 um, World Cup team, like you say, Saleh, because you had a leader like Mohanri Schwalga coming out of the Chiefs environment. And, you know, and at that time, he was had just won a title with the Chiefs, got to mention that as well. And and so, you know, he was, he was coming out of an environment of success. And, and even though... <laughs> Even though, even though we didn't uh, progress in that World Cup, but you could see the the following that the Samoan boys had, because of what they had achieved in the years leading up to the, especially being in New Zealand, um, massive Pacific um, following here for Tonga, Fiji, as well as Samoa. But the backing that our Samoan team had there was just outstanding, and and I think we were all encouraged and hoping that as well as New Zealand wanting to win a first World Cup since 87, we were also, as Samoa, our second or first team, we were wanting them to do just to better the quarterfinals. But um wasn't to be. I still remember watching that game against Wales and 
Um, you know, Porta Cicelavia was tasked with the job at hand and just a few penalties um, and a few uh, bad calls went our way and was enough to sink our hopes of progressing in that, in that tournament. But, you know, I think, you know, Khan Fotuali, another awesome player that was who could double up as a first five but could play who was playing first five and half back for um Hawks Bay before that and um but yeah that you couldn't say that we were down on talent. There was a lot of experienced players but Mahonri Schwoga a massive leader in that time and then obviously we knew what Se Lala Mapasua as well. Se Lala mm, Mapasua. Mm. Was Filippo Levy still playing as well? Yeah, yeah, so Lala now coaching. We had like Kane Thompson at lock. Um, there was another, who was a, yeah, we had some, yeah, even even our front row, man, really good. We had, what was his name? Tolafo, Zach Tolafo. Oh, yeah, Sakaria. Yep, Sakaria, yeah. Yeah, he, he was a yeah, good player. Yeah, really good prop. And he ended yeah. up, what, signing up off the Wasps and that, and he was, good thing with some of those players, they actually had some like Mitre 10 or Super Rugby experience, so, in terms of speed of the game, their fitness levels was that was probably one of the fitter Manusamo teams as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we should have had what's his name? Um, who who was the sick of five? Who he's always like controversial on um the lawyer Eliota Sapporo. Eliota. He he should have started yeah. most games, and I felt like out of respect for um Seilala, like or even had them as a midfield combination would have been awesome. Um, only because I think what's his name, uh, Eliota was actually the he got player of the premiership or something like that, like MVP yeah, of the yeah, tournament. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, but in that game against South Africa, he was awesome, man. Like that's exactly what we needed out in the midfield, just a punch and just some unpredictable type of play in the midfield, just get some go for it. But no, nah, man, that's all. That was a that was a really awesome team. Yeah, so it's hard to narrow it down. We've had some great teams and some great players. Um, it's hard to quite narrow it down. But, uh, yeah, I'll put my hand up for Bainima. Also, Afato Soualo, forgot to mention. <laughs> he was a beast for the Crusaders. He was one of their best players on the wing. And uh, 16 tries and 18 starts for the Manu. So that's pretty outstanding for him. Um, but, uh, yeah, all, I just wanted to look at uh, moving on a bit. But, um, yes, yeah, so obviously we focused a lot on the 91 World Cup team, obviously for the anniversary and stuff. But the money also made the quarterfinals in 95 as well. And then the game goes professional in 96. And essentially the Manu Samoa have been left behind and they've never made it back to the playoffs ever since. So a lot of people thought that uh, you know, the Manu would kick on and become a powerhouse of world rugby after 91 and 95. But that never really happened. So I uh, wanted to sort of talk about why we think that happened. Mate, Sally, mate, I'll come to you first, brother. Have you got any thoughts as to why Manu's essentially gone backwards since those early 90s? Oh, I, th- I think it was just... Left behind a bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I touched on it briefly before. I think it was once they changed those eligibility rules, um, it, it made players to start considering, like, you know, their financial afterlife in terms of after their career uh, so most of the times you know you get some really good players either you know selecting the black jersey or looking to play overseas you know and I think with Samoa back even back then in the late 90s most of their did have a trial in Samoa but they never trial out here in um in Auckland um, I remember going to one of them I think it was out at White Manor um, just as a young kid it was 
I mean, there's 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 so many like different factors, you know. Uh, for me, it would probably be just the overall um, the the structure of the rugby union in Samoa as well, in terms of like you you have as your upper management all the way down to the coaches. Probably never really had something as we probably had no no real structure, you know. For me, like we had as much as uh, Michael Jones was a really good player. I don't think he's probably had any really good coaching experience, you know. And after that 95 World Cup building towards 99 and 2003, we probably got coaches, you know, who had little to no experience in terms of being successful in the 15s arena. And we probably didn't have much um, in terms of outside influence. Uh, and, and, and probably one of the main things as well, which we still see to this day, is that... Um, the luxury of those earlier 91, 95 teams had is that um, because none of them were tied down to any um, major team contracts, they could meet earlier to train and bond together and, you know, get the culture up. Whereas what we're seeing now, even to this day, we're probably, you know, only when, when it's a World Cup year that, you know, teams release you for extended period to meet up. And, you know, how how hard is it, man? Like, you know, for like our tours, people are jumping on their flights, meeting at the place where you're having the tour, and like within one or two weeks, you're expected to field a team against a team that's just coming off what say Six Nations, you know, or coming off um, playing Super Rugby and, and and all all those kind of tests, you know, together. So that's that's probably been one of the main main hard um, hardships for not only Samoa but for all the poly teams, man. It's just not having enough time to build that bond and connection and trying to let it make that translate onto the field. But yeah, that's it from me, um, Stace. Yeah, no, good thoughts there. And I probably agree with all of that, actually. And I've got similar sentiments there in regards to a lot of those things. But uh, how about you, Roger, mate? Have you got any thoughts as to why the Manu hasn't kicked on? Like a lot of people thought they were going to become a, a tier one nation after the exploits in those early 90s. And we know now that that's not what happened. So, uh, mate, just get some thoughts from you on that and why. Yeah, I think um, I remember when they brought in because a lot of players, again, this is showing my age. So like, when I was playing in the late 90s. Oh, not when I was playing. Come on. <laughs> when, when I was playing in the late 90s, in the, so the first time I played Prims was for Waitakere. And in 1999, that was a World Cup year, I didn't even know some of these players, yet there was Silao Laoinga, who ended up scoring the most points for Manu Samoa at the Rugby World Cup 99. Um, George Hara was, again, another one that was playing at Waitakere as well. And these were guys who were playing club rugby and then expected to go to a Rugby World Cup. And and there were a lot of players like that. And other teams as well, minnows of, of what was compared to a lot of the top-tier teams. That's how they were preparing. They were playing club rugby. They might get an opportunity playing NPC or provincial rugby before going over to the Rugby World Cup. But that was, that was the, the type of players... They were going. They weren't coming from Super Twelve contracts like uh, the All Blacks, the Australias, South Africa were at the time. They were players that were being garnered from Super Rugby, sporadic for Manu Samoa, but majority were just coming from club rugby and overseas as well. The Trivialotas having to choose between club and rugby, club and country, because that was. The contract, if they, they were told, and, you know, whether this is off record or on record and clauses in their contract, they can't play for their country 
um, while they are because they are they if they do play for the country, they're not going to get paid because their contract was to play for their club wherever that would be in Italy, France, or England. And so those were those were the challenges, and, and so we didn't really understand what was happening because we could only see well, why don't they want to play for their country, and yet they're having to put up um, face the dilemma of if we go, then there's no. I, I can't provide for my family um, if I do play for my country as much as they want to play for their countries. And a lot of these players have come out since and said the challenges that they faced and the challenges that some Pacific Island players still face in European clubs because the, 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 they've been put up with, you know, club or country. And so whether they've now been able to factor those into their contracts, who knows? But even since this Johnson was the last World Cup was still having to um, face that kind of a challenge. And so he was playing in France and allegedly was still had resigned from international rugby and yet then turns up then turns up playing for Samoa in, in at the last minute. And so and that jeopardized his contract back in France. But he wasn't gonna deal with that until post the World Cup. So if that's still happening for our players, you know, in the late 2000s, 2010s, then, you know, there's there's something systematic that's wrong and there's something where World Rugby's got to step in. Have they stepped in? We don't know. They started the, the Pacific Island um, Alliance. Uh, Pacific Island, what was the R for? Yeah, they started that in 2002 or 2004. Peter Schuster says 2004. And another place says 2002. Um and, and they got how many tours out of that? It was, it was meant to be something between Fiji, Tonga, the Cook Islands, and Samoa that were meant to, it was meant to be a, uh, something to garner revenue for respective individual nations. However, we know how that turned out. They only had a, a, couple, a few tours, 2004, 2006, and 2008, I believe. It was meant to, I think the idea was World Rugby wanted, or IRB at the time, wanted it to be a, a, every four years, similar to the British and Irish Lions. However, I think the Pacific Island nations were wanting it to be every two years. And their, their reason was because to, to gain finances, get support, sponsorship support, so that they can finance not only the, the Pacific Island rugby um, team, but also their individual unions back in the islands. But I think... It, it, because of the revenue, Peter Schuster pulled Samoa out in 2009. And so it sort of fell. And and the, I think the best thing to come out of the, the Pacific Island Rugby Alliance was, you know, probably Sione Lawaki and Sitivini Sivivatu becoming All Blacks out of that 2004 tour. Um, as well as, you know, obviously some of these players that played for that Pacific Island, you know, not necessarily getting the opportunity to play alongside some of their the Pacific Island country men, but you know that's it's something that they will just like it is for a British and Irish. You normally play for your Scotland's or your Ireland's and England's, but then to come together and be able to play in, in that special team is something that is lost, and we only wish that it, you know because that was the next best thing for our PI players that there was um, without any Super Rugby exposure. And if you weren't a Brian Lima and a Fatu Soyalo to overanga Stephen Bishop then you had to go abroad to play. And I think the clash of um, investments as well as um, interest, they the overseas clubs with their money, 
they had an an invested sort of interest in just their club. They weren't interested where these international players were coming from and then going back to represent their respective Pacific Island nation. We could also go into saying it depowered because they were being um, employed by overseas clubs. It depowered the Pacific Island nations because now we're have, they're having to contend with their contracts to provide for their families and, the, and those loved ones back in the islands or come back and play for nothing or play for very little to represent Samoa, Fiji and Tonga in, in the autumn tests or the, the mid-year tests. And then, you know, the, the end-of-year Northern Hemisphere tournament was something else again. And like you say, um, due to, and then due to very little time together, lack of preparation, which a lot of the super, a lot of the teams that are involved in super, they don't have that because they they can easily, they've got the money, they've got the, the pulling power to be able to um, pull their team together and um, come together for a Rugby World Cup. And then we understand the, the logistics and the, um, for want of a better term, hidden agendas of the of, of the the timetabling of of matches where a lot of the minnows get less time to between matches as opposed to some of the tier one tier two teams get more time um, from a Saturday to a Saturday as opposed to a Saturday and then play the next game on a Thursday or Wednesday. And I guess there's always going to be the logistical nightmares of how they do the pools and the matches throughout a tournament. But I think everyone's just asking for a fair shake and for enough time to recover from the last match where we we do see a lot of the time it favours the Tier 1 teams. Uh, yes, they, so I think all I got from Roger saying is that if it wasn't for the Pacific Islands, um, playing at the Chiefs would have never made Sione Lawaki so we had to ever make the All Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Rog, for your biased um, one-sidedness. Yeah, no. <laughs> but you look at it because in that 2004 um, campaign, they allowed it was meant to be for those that had already played for Pacific Island teams. The only two that hadn't played for any team, any national team, was Sione and and um, and Sivivatu. But then. And then every other every other campaign thereafter, they had to be players who um, had represented Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, or another island nation like the Cooks. So yeah, it was interesting how that one played out. But obviously, Sione Lawaki and Sivivatu they they deserve to be All Blacks, um, but they shouldn't have. I, I I feel that yeah, they shouldn't have used the 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 Pacific Islands team for that purpose. But you know that's. That's how the, the story panned out. Yeah. Yeah. It's no doubt that since the game's gone professional, you know, the clubs have got more power because they've got more money. And then that's created, um, you know, this massive disparity between the, the haves and the have nots. And uh, Dan Leo, a former Manu Samoa player, he's doing some great stuff with those Oceans Apart documentary and those little uh, short um, movies that he's putting, pulling out where you can really see the disparity and some of the issues facing a lot of the uh, Polynesian players and that, which touches on back to what you've been mentioning, Rog, how they've been torn between club and country and they're basically playing, playing for nothing um, when they represent their countries and, that, and that's where um, they're struggling a little bit. But I wanted to come back to something. You both sort of touched on something 
which I, which I was also um, thinking of around. So Sally, you talked about the eligibility rules. So you can only represent one nation. And if some of the good players who they'll wait and wait and wait to try and make a tier one nation, and then when they don't make a tier one nation, that's when they'll take take off overseas and then maybe turn up for the Mono late in their late 20s or 30s. And that comes back to what you mentioned, Rog, where now there was good quality players in Super Rugby wouldn't put their hands up. So then Silao and George Harder and these other guys are getting called out of club rugby. So uh, um, this is a, this is another hard one. So I'm going to chuck these on the spot a little bit. But if I were to take all the Samoans in the Tier 1 nations, you know, like Adi Savia and you know, Rico Ioane, uh, Metomor from the Wallabies and Bandiaki and Manu Tuilangi from the European um, nations. So all the best Samoans from the Tier 1 nations and put them on one side and take the actual Manu Samoa team and put it on the other side and got them to play against each other, the Samoans from the Tier 1 team would probably smoke the Manu Samoa national team by 30 points. So how do we get more Samoans to play for Samoa? Um, it's no easy one. I don't even have an answer for it, so I'll just chuck it out there. And if anyone wants to step forward and sort of say anything on that, um, just for our listeners, if anyone's got any thoughts, oh. how can we get more people to turn out for Samoa? I remember. Like similar to, um, sorry, I just want to say, similar to like, um, well, it's a little bit different sport and different eligibility rules, but the Tonga National Rugby League team, they went from nowhere to somewhere because people just decided to turn out for them. Now, obviously, the eligibility rules are a bit different where they can jump back on the Kiwis or jump back to the um, Australian League team if they want to. But how do we catch, is there any way we could catch something like that, catch some fire like that? Just touching on. 91 and remembering 91 and, and the feats that they were able to achieve uh, to reach a quarterfinal. And then also the 99. And I remember 91 as a 13-year-old. I remember it changed the mindset. People were like, now not just necessarily talking about, I want to play for the All Blacks. Because of that, they wanted to play for Island Kids Samoa because we wanted to play for the Manu or Western Samoa as they were known back then. And then the more players that were now then come around Super Rugby. 94, I remember there was the Super 10 where Auckland was playing teams like North uh, Queensland and playing the New South Wales, but Samoa was in the mix as well. Samoa played Auckland at, at Eden Park and we just went along with it and we just watched it. And, and then the more normal it became, I guess, um, to see your Samoan players playing it, it, it meant that young kids wanted to be like the, them and represent Samoa. Um, but I think it was just that then you had your sprinklings of players, like your Tootovaenga playing for the, the Highlanders, Afato Soalo for the Crusaders in, 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 in Canterbury, Brian Lima back and forth between... Um, for him to play... For the Blues, at a time where you had Joeli and and Jonah Lomu, it it said a lot about Brian Lima, and then and then still being a mainstay in Super Rugby, playing for the Highlanders in in latter times, you know, for someone to be that good, and yet he was not eligible to be an All Black, but he'd already played for Samoa, and still considered to be good enough to not only not necessarily be in the squad, but also be in a in a starting stripping day team. Um, it spoke a lot, and so I think it was that we were overdue. And I think with Mona Pacifica coming this year, we've been overdue a super team uh, representation 
in in a, in a competition like Super Rugby, whether it be here or whether it be somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere, um, I think that's, the, I hope, is the answer. Because we've lacked an lacked a super team or representation of some sort, whether it be a Pacific Island team, didn't have to necessarily be because there's always been talks about including a Samoan team, including a Pacific Island team into the mix to better the, their national endeavours. I think that's a, ma- a missing ingredient, a, a big ingredient, because we've always had players go abroad and ply their trades in, in the France and the Englands and and where and what have you. But I think, and then the coming together, we just don't gel quick enough. And because we've had calibre players come from all these amazing teams from all over the world, yet when we come together, it just we just don't get the results that we're sort of like wishing to achieve. And I think the answer has been a team, and we saw the transformation that happened with Argentina still you know they've still got a lot of work to do but having had the Jaguares in Super Rugby enhanced their team in Argentina it's 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 predominantly an amateur game there's no professionalism in Argentina itself all the Argentini all the Los Pumas were all playing in Europe and so that's where they because they get employed they get money they can't make a living as rugby players in Argentina themselves so the same thing applies to Samoa to Fiji in 2007, 2008, you had so many, the majority of Pacific Islanders playing in France was ridiculous. And Fiji was the leader of that out of the big island nations. And they were just sprinkled throughout the first division right through to the third division in France and England. And so therein lies the problem is that we've got all this talent, homegrown talent, all playing abroad. And that's inclusive of New Zealand and Australia as well. Um and then it's just that coming together because you, you even have to go back to Joel Evendiri and then in his prime was the prime that Joel sort of spent waiting in that three-year period where he had stood down for the All Blacks. He only got to play for the All Blacks twice once he was eligible, but because he played for Fiji in 95, you know, we, we didn't get to see the best of Joel in, in, in the All Blacks colours, but we got to see him on the... Super stage, super stage (laughs) for the Blues, for the Blues, as well as for um, Counties Monaco. So, and that's the thing, you know, eligibility is massive, but also just, and I guess we never saw the Joel Evendiris on an international stage for Fiji because of that stand down period. Um, But yeah, he's the all black that never was. Mm -hmm. Sally, got any thoughts on how we can get more? Samoan eligible players to try and tune out for Samoan? Yo, I reckon they... um, So firstly, we've got uh, to make sure we sort out our fears uh, at home in terms of um, the Samoan Rugby Union. Um, We've got to incentivise, you know, it is enough to play for pride for the jersey, but, you know, it may not be that much that we can offer, but there's got to be some things that we can work around in order to provide these players with some sort of... It doesn't have to be financial, but... You know, some sort of like incentives in order to put on a jersey, man. Like, if you're a big union like Rugby Samoa and you're run by the Prime Minister, surely there's something you can do. Like, say, like, like for me, I would, I would use all my resources in terms of like, hey, look, you know, you you play for the manu, yeah, we're cool, we can't give you this much money, but hey, we'll give you some exclusive like rights in terms of like purchasing land or give you some help with um your family back at home. You know, stuff that will make the peers play. You know, like. They probably earn more than enough money with the, with whatever contracts that they're on. So money shouldn't be an issue for them. 
um, yet the logistics and getting from their clubs to the um, to the islands or wherever they're playing, that will probably be the main issue. But I think for them, the biggest issue has always been the fact that like, like let's cool sweet. We may not have the, uh, the 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 most money, but let's just see where the money goes and make sure it is used the right way in terms of looking after the team, but as well as growing the sport within within Samoa as well. And over the last couple of years since that whole John Campbell thing came out, I think Samoa are heading in the right direction. Um, I think we've got some good coach, like the fact that we've got Selala Mahonri and all of those guys back on board. The there that was the blueprint in terms of how to build Samoa. You know, cool, sweet. We've got all these players playing tier one rugby representative in those countries. And, you know, they're pretty much coming to play for peanuts. But what's more important is the fact that they're playing for the people. And that's what we need to re- reinstill back into back into the jersey. Because if you're going to try and, and, and pledge for Samoa and hoping that you're going to get financially um, sorted, it is never going to ha- happen. But I think we, uh, the, I think, the Manusa Moore Rugby Union Board need to work harder in terms of incentivizing playing for the jersey because the boys will always play for pride. They will always play for the people. But we've got to repay that faith in some way. To keep, it's, it's the loyalty that we need to um, we need to reinstill back into the jersey. So, like, you know, most of those people have connections in terms of to the different uh, resources or the different, like, places in Samoa, man. If that was me, man, I'll just be like, man, hey, look, you know, I can help out with your families, you know, like once a year, come to this resort and we'll look after you, you know, like stuff like that. Like, you know, like, like it, it yeah, is, I back, like it. I like it, it. It is, it is backdoor dealings, but hey, bro, it's being, it's being creative. It is. It's, it's being, it's, it's, it's being creative, man. Because we, we, you, you know, what like, happens, Sully? What, ha- what happens uh, no, when they get kicked out of the Manusamoa? Do they still get the backdoor dealing? <laughs> Oh, bro, bro, look at it this way. If Look at it this way. Like, um, yeah, cool, you can support the businesses in Samoa. Um, and, like, maybe if you do play for that team for that year, you can get, like, you know, a, a either a really good discount or, like, you know, for free. But look at it this way. The All Blacks, as well as every other um, Tier 1 nation, but also, sorry, uh, but also the, the, club, the club teams in those Tier 1 nations, as soon as you've kept for them, you are an exclusive member of that team in terms of as soon as you retire, you're, you're still, you, you still get all the perks of being part of that team. And I don't see why there shouldn't be any reason for players that who have put on the Manusahamoa jersey to get some sort of exclusive, like, um, not not rights, but um, like, you know, uh, what's the word? Like, um, oh, yeah, whatever the word is, but, you know, like with the All Blacks, as soon as you've, you've whether it's one hundred and twenty tests, you still you still get tickets sent to your house to attend any of the the home match games. You can still turn up and and, and attend the the player, you know the what do you call it, the different uh, areas that are exclusive to former players. So like you know like stuff like that that we need to like you know obviously it's not going to be massive in Samoa, but hey man like let's see what we can do like a. You put on that blue jersey, you get looked after not only on the field but off the field. Not only when you're playing for Samoa, but after you've done playing for Samoa, that's something that we need. To, they need to look at in order to like, like boost more and more players. Because at the end of it, like the rugby circle is so small, especially the professional sport, uh, the professionals. 
So of course it's the text, of course it's word of mouth, how you're treated within the camp, how you're treated after you've put on the blue jersey. Stuff like that, you know, you look after them after their career, look after them off the field, that little stuff will build to, you know, creating a better culture and better environment for anyone coming into the team and anyone who wants to be loyal to the blue jersey. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. Some ideas thinking outside the box a little bit. So, Tulopla, if you're listening out there, try it on, man. We need to uh, come up with some better ideas. I don't, I don't think he's prime minister anymore, so he should have some extra time to yeah, 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 dedicate yep, to the true. model. Well, that's what I don't get. I don't get in, um, you know, 2017 when the then Samoan prime minister, Tulopla, announcing that um, Lakapi Samoa or... Samoa Rugby Union was bankrupt. And then that was sort of squashed by World Rugby who disagreed with that that can't be the case. So, I mean, like what Sully is saying, if we can't look after our own players and we can't even take care of our backyard, how are we supposed to be entrusted with, you know, money that comes from the World Rugby on a yearly basis or however, um, whatever the frequency is? It's oh, just, and that's and always that's been the issue. It's it's mm. it's how they it's the mishandling of the funds that World Rugby Union gives. Yeah. Man. Look like And that's what and that's what they're wanting to they're wanting to have their own team and run their own team by Samoans, for Samoans, but we can't even look after our own. And so how are we gonna be entrusted with, you know, bigger or other ventures such as a team in, involved in super rugby or whatever up in the northern hemisphere in, in the premiership. We just can't do it because we, we don't have the track record for it either. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Right? The, the administration side, so it's got to be sort of top down and and get the, the you know the, the books and everything sort of at the, the front office, and then that sort of stuff filters down. We've seen that before with a lot of professional teams where you know the well-run teams tend to do a lot better than you know some teams that are just constantly underachieving because they're just poorly run so the mono has to really sort that side of the game out as well and i guess you know, that's where relying on the stays, handouts and stuff. it's, yep. it's, it's got to be like it's not i mean i'm, I'm all for having an all samoan team or an all samoan or all pacific um run ship but for me i believe it's just the best the best people for it take the helm and I remember when John Bowe was our Manu Samoa coach from 2000 to 2003. And, you know, the, and the challenges that he had to face just because you had to be based in Samoa and, you know, the politics behind that we were not were not always exposed to. Um, best intentions to just try and get the team up and running and, and do the best for the Manu. But, you know, when they're, they're facing challenges coming from the outside, um, is, is hard as well when you're trying to keep the team first and foremost. And I think, I don't know whether those are the same sort of challenges that guys like Michael Jones had, um, Brian Williams prior to him as well. I mean, there's a whole list of coaches who have come um, come through. Just going through some of them. Where are these some more coaches? Yeah, John Bow was 2000 to 2003. Before him was Brian Williams. You had Titi Maia Tafua, Nico Palamo before him, 2008 to 2009. Yeah, and Titi so, was probably our best coach, man. Yeah, Titi's, you know, he, especially he had he garnered a good team, especially running into that World Cup. Um, then he came back uh, for a, a short stint 
2017 to 18. But yeah, I mean, Stephen Beatham was another one that came in after the World Cup. But I was hoping for big things when Alama was announced there. And you had Stephen Jackson. But with Seilala Mapasua now, hopefully, you know, he's, he's like some of those before him have played for Samoa and now coaching Samoa. So hopefully uh, their input um, can make a difference. I'm not too sure. Is Tulaipa still the, 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 the president of the union? I haven't heard anything different. He's got a bit more time on his hands. So I, I don't know if he'd relinquish that role, but um, yeah, no, I, I believe so. Although we might need a fact check there. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's right, boys. A lot of good thoughts there and a lot of things that I agree with. So they need to sort the admin out. They need to get more players, have a bit more, um, offer a bit more things sort of maybe off the field and backyard dealings to get it over the line if that's what they need to do with the current eligibility rules. Um, a lot of things as to why they haven't really kicked on. But um, yeah, I mentioned before, the game went professional um, after the 95 World Cup, which is the last time we made the quarterfinals. And, you know, yeah, once the game went pro, I suppose one of the arguments which you've touched on a bit, Rog, was um, for the monitors failing is that it could be linked to the fact that they haven't had a professional franchise team to bridge the gap. You know, you're picking these guys from club, club rugby and then chucking them into the international stage. And that's just such a massive jump. And I suppose that brings me to Moana um, Pacifica. So just for our listeners out there, maybe a bit unsure, Moana Pacifica is a new Super Rugby team that's competing from next year, 2022 onwards. It'll be made up of um, 80% players that are eligible for Pacific countries and 20% from sort of random, random uh, places. So um, do we think this is going to help uh, the Moana going forward? Um, Sully, do you want to have a have a crack at that one you think you think that mono pacific is going to help the mono samu uh yeah i think it will help um i think what we need to first sort out quickly is let i'm all for getting experience in but this team is about breeding our own our own talent people who are actually going to um pledge their allegiance for either samoa or tonga or whether we get fijians into the team i'm not too sure so that's one thing that we need to filter out real quick. Um, and I, I love the fact that, yeah, we've got Skopje Kepo. Yeah, cool. We've got um, Christian Lally Funnel. But these are guys that are at the back end of their careers that are not going to contribute to any of these home nations, you know. And that's the whole reason or the mm. main, what was the main of the, one of the main driving forces in terms of their, their plea to get a team in was to help out our home nations. And then you're going to do the opposite thing by recruiting players who can't play for our home nations. So, like, one thing we've got to quickly sort is after this year, moving forward, we've got to get players who contractually are going to pledge their allegiance. Yeah, cool. You can be eligible to play for the All Blacks. Cool. They find a different Super Rugby franchise. But when you come play for the Pacific, uh, the Moana Pacifica, you have to have the intentions of putting on a jersey for one of these Pacific home nations. That's one thing that we've got to need to sort. Uh, the second thing is that um, we've got to make sure that... Um, there's some uh, that, uh, opportunities to get into the team. So, like, um, we've got to make sure that we do bring on some of our players from um, from the islands. I know it, their level of rugby will never be uh, will never be there, but we've got to make a start somewhere, right? And if these we can bring in players or even coaches or some sort of ad, um, 
any uh, any managers or coaches from overseas, we've got to make like some sort of like a, a connection or, or or network with them, just so that because we've got some good coaches and uh, within the ranks at Mona Pacifica, it'll be awesome if those guys can get the experience to take it back to the home countries and then use that experience to build up the players there. That's that's a, that's probably the two main points for me. Just make sure that we have players that are coming into the team so that can play and pledge their allegiance for the home countries. Um, and then as well as making sure that there's some sort of program in order to bring in players. Cool, you, you might not be on contract, but let's like help these players grow so they as well as the player, coaches that we bring and help them grow so that when they do go back to the home the home countries that they can help teach those skills, teach those abilities that they've learned uh, with the being in the Mona Pacifica camp and then help that grow the game back home because at, at the end of the day, that's that's probably where we need to address the issue most is, is, is not in New Zealand where Mona Pacifica is based, but is actually back in the home islands. If we get their talent levels up, it's never going to reach, obviously, it's never going to reach Super Rugby or Mighty 10, but if we can get them up to a level where it's consistent with the club level that we're getting, that we see on a weekly basis, man, that'll be awesome for for our players moving forward. Mm, mm, you could talk to it. What about you, Raj? Mate? What do you think? You think Moana Pacific is going to make a big difference to getting the Manu back up? Well, they'll, they'll contribute to an extent because obviously they're talking about having Tongans in there that are eligible for Ikaletahi, um, whether the draw have the bulk of Fijian players contracted to them. But, you know, you never know because Moana Pacifica will still be open to having uh, Fijian eligible players as well, I suppose, being a Pacific rugby team. But I think, like, you know, I sort of uh, second everything that Sally said. But my only issue is that, yeah, you're going to have that 20% of players who will come in, whether they've already played for another international country like like the likes of um, Lali Ifano and, and Kipu. But then you're going to also, it opens up the question for players who haven't played for any nation and whether they come in with the intention initially to um, play for one of the island nations. But then who knows, they could then get scouted and, get drafted into an all-black training camp. Yeah, exactly. Um, after exactly. that, good. Hey, mm. so that's the that's the loophole because, yep, you say it's 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 for the Pacifica teams and that, but I guess that's where um, one of the sort of injustices from a Pacific standpoint would be is that um, they get put into another, whether it's Australia or, or the all-blacks um, being close to home. South Africa will be out of stretch if someone was to come in and play and be eligible for South Africa. Although there is that one. No. I can't remember who it was. One of the wingers. Um, oh, no, sorry. Um, Talia. <laughs> hey, they play for the Blues. He's South African then and in Samoan. Yeah, so he'll be the only one. But, um, but I guess in terms of pathway, yep, I really second that with um, what uh, Sally was saying, but, but then also even going to more um, grassroots is that from what I know that super teams have the under-20s program, or the development program, so that's where if you have a similar um, minor Pacifica under-20s, and that will get, gain the interest of younger players coming through, yes, I really do want to play for a Pacific team, and if minor Pacifica is that pathway where we go through that um, that age group, age group, grade group, and then and then graduate into a, f- 
the fully fledged um, senior team. But again, there's room, wiggle room that they go through any development, and then you could be under 20s for the Chiefs, but then you'll be playing senior rugby down at the Highlanders. So I guess those are some of the the challenges ahead for trying to capture our talent and, and remaining Pacific focused. But again, it's it's just another pathway, another another sort of route for um, young players as well as PI players to go on to higher honours. And I guess that's the um, the number one sort of purpose, but we know that there's sort of other avenues that can take hold and if other teams become interested for our players. But I think it's I think it's a, a good step in the right direction, especially having a, a super team. Um, whatever form it is, and uh, we've got it in the form of Moana Pasifika, and we can only hope for big things. And I think their intention is to try, like you say, Aisali, we don't want to be just making up the numbers. We want to get off to a really good start and be competitive. What I don't understand in previous years, where they've gone with the Japan Sunwolves, where they've gone with the Haguares, if they really want to invest in Pacific rugby, they should have been done a long, long time ago. But, you know, where, what, how has Super Rugby benefited Japan? We could say, yep, Sunwolves have, but then Japanese rugby, they've been professionals for, you know, for a long, long time. And they have players playing all around the world before the advent of the Sunwolves. So I don't really get um, as to why the Sunwolves were even looked at uh, in terms of a financial um, benefit. That's the only thing I can put my finger on. Um, it didn't really serve Super Rugby, let alone Japanese Rugby, too much because a lot of those Sunwolves players were from all over the place. You had your um, journeymen like your Lockie um, Molly that used to play for the Blues Club mm. Rugby in Auckland, uh, Michael Little, who um, uh, the great Walter Little's son playing there as well. But then you, you know you had other players, a guy named Jared. I can't remember his surname, Dowers, I think it was. He was a prop for Counties and later Auckland. I think he's now playing for the uh, the Turbos. Jared Adams, eh? Adams, Adams. That's a, so he was floating around um, Super Rugby with the Sunwolves. So, you know, and you got to go where the opportunities lie. And so, you know, good on him for doing that. And who knows, is he another one that's in the picture for? Because I don't think he's had any international ties. And he's currently down at... Um, the Turbos, like Ray Nuya, uh, like um, Edo, Eddie Fidel, and both Manu players. So there's Moana Pasifika in their horizons. Got to yeah, be. Got to be. Yeah, yeah. Because they're be. quality. They're quality players. I think those two are definitely Sorry, No, I agree with um, I agree with everything Rod said. I think... Um, yeah, I, I just hope that moving forward that yeah, it does um help out our our home home nations, you know, like I'm sick of waiting, having this feeling of waiting every four years and then come to the World Cup and it's just, you know, utter disappointment. Uh the good thing about yeah. Moana Pacifica is that <laughs> now me and Raj can support the same team. You know? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we we can all support the same team. Hey man, if you guys are for it, man, we'll we'll become season ticket holders, bro, and we'll go support our support our boys. You know, whether they get pumped or, you know, what, I reckon the support's gonna be crazy. You know, it's it's gonna be good to Samoan and Tongan. If 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 Mona Pacifica are smart, they're gonna create a flag that everyone can bloody go crazy with. You know, at the field. So, um, that's probably the, one of the main best things is that 
Um, it's not just Wolf Rogers for all my other boys, you know, whether the Hurricanes, Highlanders, or whatever team that they support. Now we can all cheer for the one team. Yep. Yep. Yeah, nice boys. Good. I agree with all of that, boys. Um, good thoughts there, especially that under twenties point, Raj. I'm not sure what the plan is for that, but you got to have that sort of regeneration of the next talent. A lot of the kids coming through. You know, you can't just pick all these guys and they all retire, and then you've got no you know, no juniors or anything like that. So hopefully they've got something sorted out like that. And I'd like to see them maybe pick someone from Manu Samoa under-20s or the um, Tongan under-20s, just like to develop them. And then in sort of two or three years, they can kick on and play for Moana Pasifika. Um, well, I was, reading, I was reading an article just before coming on and it was Seilala Mapasua who has been in talks with, you know, his former teammate, um, both at uh, oh, down hmm. in, oh, he, they used to be, New Zealand 20s together, yep, and then obviously, yeah. Um, but um, so I think that's good. That's encouraging that there's those those uh, avenues are open. The talking, those channels are open for a manu, the current Manu coach and the Moana Pacifica coach. So obviously, say Lala is from his perspective, he's going to push as many Manu eligible players down uh, by way of um, Moana Pacifica. And at the same time, you know, it, it, it's as much as it's uh, uh, Pacific, uh, Pacifica sort of aimed uh, team, but then it's not going to still stop um, Pacific eligible players to to play in other franchises as they are already doing so. So um, it just opens up there. And I guess that's where we just got to take, um, it's a bit of tongue in cheek, but I guess that's where players who are eligible for the All Blacks and who haven't represented the All Blacks or Australia or whatever other international team are going to be able to do the same by way of Moana Pacifica. So it's a bit of a catch-22, but I think so long as the number one priority is to further the Pacifica cause, we just got to run with it. But, yeah, exciting times. Looking forward to um, Moana Pacifica's uh, debut season, and um, hopefully mm. it's a it's a good one. And, yeah, hopefully it's not like a Sunwolves um, venture, but yeah, but it's unfortunate, but hopefully... There'll be some names that will be made uh, from Moana Pacifica that will go on to, you know, future World Cups for their respective island nations. Yeah. I'd actually be gutted if that happened, like similar to the Pacific Islanders concept. So let's say they have a whole full season of Super Rugby next year and there's one or two guys who just come out of nowhere and really stand out. And then the All Blacks say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll take you you guys like they did with Lawaki and, you know, Sivivatu. So I'd be gutted if that happened if like, Two guys sort of just that they picked came up from nowhere, and then the Black said, Yep, came knocking on their door. But um, just for our listeners and just for you guys as well, if you're not sure, so they've announced four official signings so far. So, Christian Yalifano from Australia, so he's obviously played for the Wallabies already, and he must be one of the 20% who are non eligible Pacific players. Um, Ere Inari, who's um, he's been a backup halfback at the Crusaders. So he's uh, in that neutral um, zone that we've talked about where he hasn't uh, got an official declared allegiance yet, but he's got Samoan heritage. So he could turn up for the Mono Samoa, or if he carves up next year, could be the All Blacks might come knocking on his door. <laughs> and uh, two other guys got announced today. So Sione Tuipolotu and Solomone Funaki. They both played for the Tongan national team, uh, loose forwards, so, and they're playing ITM Cup at the moment. So I'm not sure if they would have got Super Rugby contracts 
without Moana Pacifica. So that's a that's a bonus because they get exposed to a higher level of rugby, which will help them in their national teams when they get back to the Tonga national team. So just the four official signings. I think you mentioned Sekupiku. Kepu there, um, Saleh, that seems to be like the, one of like a worst kept secret. They haven't officially announced it yet, but I think it's pretty obvious that he's one of the guys that's going to be there. And he's um, he's Australian, so um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I've got um, some of my mates or inside sources. I think that we've they've probably got hopefully Ma'anono. Um, as well as, I think Eddie Fidel should definitely make it. Um, yep. Al- Alamanda Motunga, he's definitely, uh, I'm pretty 100% sure that he's pretty much in the team. But, well, he's um, running around ITM, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's been, what, County's best player for, for two seasons now. So hmm. I think Sam Slade might be in there as well. So it's a good mix, man. It's all, but um, yeah, definitely um, looking forward to see what our other signings are. Oh, yes, uh, sorry, Stace, to, to interrupt. Who do you reckon will be our 10? Or who do you reckon the Moana Pacifica will pick up as 10? Just well, PC is... out of retirement. <laughs> nah, I don't know. Isn't, isn't Christian Lalifano oh, um, right. a yeah, 10? Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he'll be right. there, but then you'll need an understudy. You need someone that, you know, who would they have? They'll have at least three guys that can play 10. Um, what is... about D'Angelo? Isn't he still running around in Auckland? No, nah, he's it? done. He's done D'Angelo's... it. Uh, he's done at Waikato. D'Angelo oh, okay. uh, yep. Leiwa. Uh, Le... Yeah, Le... Leiwa. Oh, yeah. From, Leuila. from Papatoi. Leuila, sorry. From yeah. Papatoi. Yeah, he, 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 yeah, he, yeah. he wasn't he on the bench for the Manu as well. So he, he did really well when he came on. He, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 like I reckon him. he'll be in a mix, eh? Yeah, but then you've got also um, Dwayne from Pakuranga. That's... Dwayne, I think Dwayne he's in the Auckland Water squad. Oh no, no, Marcos. I think he's Tasman, eh? Tasman Marcos. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of players that are Manu Samoa. Like you've got your Lay brothers, James Lay. and But then my, I, I was surprised with like even before the announcements because I just recently learned that Mike, Michael Alatoa, he's now playing overseas. Mm, he would have so, been great for us. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought he was a shoo-in, but obviously now yeah. he's taken up a contract over the northern, yeah, northern he's hemisphere. Got a, he's on that. Um, what do you call it? He's probably looking to financially secure himself now, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But you never know. You know, sure. he, he might he might turn up uh, on the one of the next few years. He's got a two three year contract up there, but leading up to the World Cup. I, I reckon he's a shoo-in for the next World Cup for Samoa. Yeah. Is, is, um, close to captaincy. You guys been watching much of the Hawks Bay games? Is, is there first to five uh, Pacific Islander? That McClutchy or something? He looks like a brown boy, but I'm, I'm not too sure what he is exactly. Oh, I'm not yeah, sure. No, not sure. But uh, there's a few Hawks Bay guys you could be getting the call up, eh? Has they got a mm. couple there? I think Rod, you mentioned. Yeah, you got uh, Lolangi Visinia is floating around still. Um, you got him. But then again, he, he falls into that 20% bracket because he's played for the New Zealand Sevens. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so whether he'll get a, I'm, I'm not sure. There's, there's pretty good competition for it. 
he would be a wing fullback if, if considered. Um, who else was there? There's a junior Matautia. He's a first five come fullback playing out of Bay of Plenty. He debuted today. Whether it's too early to consider him, but I reckon he'll, he'll be a player of the future. Mm, um, mm. Not just because he's come out of the Watamata <laughs> rugby club. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, but Nico Jones, I still put my money on Nico Jones, whether he'll be a signing um, moving forward. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if the Blues would let him go. He's, even though they've got loose swords galore, he's, he's got the potential to be the next something. So, you know, he might just hold on him. But yeah, good thoughts there, boys, on... Um, on one of us weekend, we're all hoping, we're all hoping that that's going to make a big difference to the Manu Samoan and the Tonga national team as well, that they can help get um, back up to where they, where we want them to be and where they, well, I think they should be. So um, given their contributions to <laughs> other tier one nations, Samoa, <laughs> um, and no, to World Rugby, I'll say to World Rugby. But um, we're just about to wrap up our podcast, boys. So um, we'll get some, just some final thoughts just on, um, yeah, the Manu Samoa, the World Cup, or anything to Manu Samoa related. Um, Roger, mate, did you want have you got anything you want to say just in closing for our podcast about um, Manu Samoa, Moana Pasifika, anything that we're talking about today? I think since 91, we've always had massive hopes that Manu Samoa would, you know, get past that 95, uh, get past the quarterfinal stage, mm-hmm. or even just do well. And I think 2011 was a real. Uh, massive opportunity for us, which we let slip by. But then, you know, Manu Samoa, regardless of what state of affairs their uh, financial backing or administration is in, they've always got the backing of the the people, the, the people's team. They're, they're going to be forever a fan favourite. Mm. Um, so always supporting our team, regardless of whether we support another national team like the All Blacks. But in terms of Monopasifika moving forward as well, hoping what we've touched on, we haven't really touched on the draw, but I think hopefully that two teams, they can complement each other because obviously they want to further their cause for Fiji. Um, and then you've got Monopasifika, Tongan, Samoa, and then also Fiji as well. So whether you'll see some other players, because we're not sure whether it's going to be strictly Fijian players, obviously they're going to be wanting to do that and have as many Fijian eligible players in the draw, but... Who knows, you might see other players that are eligible for uh, Tonga and Samoa playing throughout uh, Fiji Drua as well. So, But looking forward to it. Yep. Nice thought there, brother. Uh, how about you, Sally, mate? Anything you want to say just in closing up? Uh, yeah, no. Man, I'm, I'm just real optimistic with Moana Pacifica moving forward. Um, I think it was it was an awesome decision having him then based at um Mount Smart because it's obviously a smaller stadium. Yeah. So uh, and hopefully we can, and hopefully there's no it's not a money grabbing scheme where they've bloody hiked up the price tickets. You know, like for a small team like that, we we want we want to see back the <laughs> yeah, the right. ten dollar ten dollar tickets, man. Like let's you know if anything, who cares? Yeah, adults will pay what twenty bucks or thirty. You know, but let's get the kids in, man. The kid the the whole reason, another massive reason for this team is to inspire the future of our Pacific Nation rugby team. So we need to get the kids in. We need to get the players to play for, you know, not only 
the team they're representing or the country they're playing for, but as well as the future of, of the sport who might be watching. So I hope that's another main thing that they're looking to do. And I'm real optimistic and I can't wait to, you know, be hand in hand with Rog and, and support our new team together. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, on that note, because you said about the kids, like my son already, you know, envisaging in his own sort of um, talks, he's saying that if he doesn't play for the Chiefs, he's going to play for Mona Pacifica for life. Yeah, bro, have to, man. Have so to. you know, that's the kind of conversations that young yeah. kids are already having and wanting to represent uh, their team or Mona Pacifica. Yeah, so man. it's that's and that's what it's all about. So yeah. I agree. 100%. Is that your son saying it, or is that your is that the dad saying you, you no, even no, though no. you're in Auckland, you're not allowed to play for the Blues? Like, come on, mate. <laughs> hey, that's just what he said. No, no conversation while he's weed whacking. Yeah. Nah, uh, yeah. Good thoughts there, boys. Uh, thanks for your great time, boys. Um, yeah, it's great to take this time to reflect back on you know the glory days of the Manu Samoa. Um, but you do sort of have to take it with a grain of salt, but, you know, knowing that you know we haven't kicked on since those Chelsea days of the 91 and 95 World Cups. You know, you guys have given a lot of good reasons, a myriad of reasons as to why that's not the case. And um, with the addition of Moana Pasuka, I think, Sally, you mentioned that, that word optimism. And that's how I feel as well. I think we've all got that feeling that we can return to those glory days again. It's going to take a lot of things to get over the line, but I think having our own professional team is a step in the right direction. Um you know, we talked about the quarter, uh, the quarterfinals of the 91 World Cup. That's sort of been one of the things we're focused on. But I'm looking at the pool that we're in. So Australia, Wales, Manu Samoa, and Argentina. If that was the last World Cup, we probably would have come last, um, which just shows how far we've dropped. Um, so he's hoping, you know, with Moana Pacifica, some better development programs, maybe some backhand deals, which Sully mentioned. Hopefully with these things in place, we can get back up and... Go, go to the quarterfinals and even beyond that, man, I would love to see them take one step further, but, you know, just to get to the playoffs because we haven't made the playoffs for 25 odd years. Um, so we're good to get back up there again. So yeah, thanks boys. I um, really appreciate you guys support on the podcast and your knowledge. And um, also thanks to our listeners for joining us for another episode of the counter and a quick mention. Yeah. We'll be nominated for the New Zealand podcast awards. So, um, yeah, there's a People's Choice Award now, which has come out. So um, if any of our listeners could take time to vote for us, and it would be much appreciated. Um, all the details are on our Facebook page, and I'll send it out on our Twitter page. So check out our socials for more details on that. And just the usual stuff, the counteracts available through, um, you know, the usual podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. There's a couple more, which I can't remember. But wherever you find your podcast will be on there. So keep listening. And don't forget to click subscribe. Um, boys, Saleh, the Manu guy, Rog, mate, your knowledge and your enthusiasm, can appreciate it so much, boys. So uh, thanks for jumping on, boys. And we'll be back again, uh, hopefully soon. <laughs> MP, one of us. See you boys. Oh, Rog, I forgot to mention that. You got one of the jerseys, the early jerseys. Are they, how are they looking? I haven't yeah, seen that. No. So I bought the jersey last year, but yeah, I think it's different. Because I oh, think I've got you. different sponsors this year, but I don't know what the jersey's going to look like, whether they're going to still...